Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 27, Continuous Improvement and the Counseling Continuum. Today's guest is Jessica House. Jessica House is an experienced mental health counselor and coach with a diverse background that includes mental health services, leadership, and lean management. With over a decade of experience in the mental health field and an unwavering philosophy that every human being wants to do well and can do well, Jessica's passion is helping children, parents, and families live their best life. We talk about how understanding mental health and honoring respect for people intersect and the continuum from coaching to counseling. Jessica House, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you, Bella. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to have you here today. And today we're going to be talking about continuous improvement and mental health. And you have special insight into that. And so can you tell us about Jessica and your background and how did you get to do what you're doing today? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm Jessica. I'm a mom first and foremost. So I'm a mom to two boys who are 12 and nine. Um, and I learn every day as a mom in terms of mental health and I get to practice mental health and lean at home. Um, but my background, my formal training is in children's mental health. So I have a counseling psychology background and worked for over a decade at a children's mental health center in Ottawa, um, where I was a child and family therapist and then moved into a leadership position. Um, So at the time, I guess... I really wasn't exposed to lean at all, Um, but what was happening was the wait lists for children's mental health services were so extremely long. Uh, So kids were waiting over a year for services, which was just making the, uh, it was backlogging the system. It was making problems much more severe. Our hospitals were um, overburdened. And so at the time, the community came together to say, you know what, we need to learn a different way of doing things because we're not getting any increased funding. So some of the leaders in Ottawa went about learning about lean management. And I was one of the lucky few who was selected to do that. And so I got my yellow belt and then my green belt. And I was really for me, it was like, yes, this is the missing piece in terms of how we're going to make a difference in terms of uh, the mental health system. Um, There was an opportunity that came up at an organization in Ottawa that's known for um, just how far along they are in their lean journey. And it was to oversee their lean office and to help with their lean transformation. And I thought, you know what, this would be really, really advantageous. So I took the opportunity received my black belt. I got some coaching from a uh, lean consultant that was working with the organization and learned a ton about it. And recently uh, brought, I've left the organization and started my own business, Lighthouse Counseling and Wellness, where I'm really taking everything that I've learned um, from mental health and lean and combining it to help kids and families, but also to help organizations. 
Well, that's, that's quite an amazing background. And it's actually kind of funny. So on the edges of lean, I always ask people, all right, so where do you come from? And almost never, almost never do I get the answer. Well, occasionally I get the answer. Well, I was an engineer and then I, you know, that's how I got into lean thinking. So your background really demonstrates that um, lean and continuous improvement is valuable everywhere. And um, I love this idea of, all right, you're providing a service with the, with um, mental health for children and families, but if they can't access it, there's no value, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, there's no value. And in fact, um, these poor families and kids are struggling on their own and their voices aren't necessarily being heard. So um, to be able to take what we're learning and apply it to the greater system, but also to our like individualized practice when working with with kids and families is truly incredible. So what are some of the things that you would do um, to connect people faster, more effectively, more efficiently with the with the counseling that they were seeking? Yeah. So one of the things is we used to have very generalized programs for kids and families that they'd be waiting for. So it would be kind of like a typical process where they'd go through intake. They, we would see if they met our admissions criteria, then they'd get put on a wait list for a program that was already defined. It was three months of service. Didn't matter if you only needed one month of service or if you needed six months of service. And so really what lean helped to do was open our eyes around around um, really making the child and family at the center of their treatment, that they're the expert, that um, perhaps they only need one or two sessions. Yet, because of our programming and how we were being funded, we were funded to deliver a three-month program. So it really just turned our whole service model over onto its head, um, and we had to rebuild from scratch. So you were saying that that you're making the child and the family, you're giving them empowerment. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I, you know, I certainly think of when I think of, of how mental health systems and especially public mental health systems interact with clients is that the clients are usually disempowered, right? That, that they are, they are uh, kind of, the, you know, a cog in a wheel. And you might think of a process, not even a cog in a wheel, you know, they're, they're a, a piece of material that flows through a process and um but what you're saying is they're not they're actually part of designing the process that's unique and special for them yes they're absolutely so they're really essentially at the heart of all uh, work that we're doing and so if we don't have their voice at the front end they are the experts, right? We're not the experts. Whereas, and this is the change. People used to think that, you know, with a psychology background, we are the experts. Yes, we have expertise in certain areas, but not in your life, right? You are the expert in terms of what's happening in your life, what problem you're wanting to solve, how much support you're going to need. And we bring our expertise to help move you through that process. But if we don't start with really, really good understanding of what our children and families need and want from service, we could go in all sorts of different directions and we can actually provide too much service and create dependency in our people, right? And this That's happens all the time, Bella, where people will come to us and we hear all sorts of different little nuggets and we could take our treatment and any one of those different directions, we might even be able to treat them in all of those directions. But if that's not actually what the customer wants, 
And if that's not what they feel they need, then it's waste, right? It, it really is truly waste. So starting with the customer is, is a real change and it's, it's absolutely the way to go. So you, you may be finding situations and you may have found situations and where you're actually providing less service to people, which allows you then to provide more service to other people. So that must reduce the waiting list. That's exactly it. So when we, at the former organization that I had worked at, we had wait lists for counseling, for child and family counseling that were over a year. And our child and family counseling oh program was that we would see them for three months of therapy. Um, when we went through our whole training and then kind of came back to the table to rethink everything, we started with the client and we asked them, what was the one problem that we're, they were looking to solve? What was their biggest issue? And what we learned was in some cases, they really only needed one session, one session. And so you can imagine a list of a year times that by uh-huh. months of service and then take half of that and they need under six sessions to really be able to you know move and feel like their mental health and wellness has improved it was huge we reduced our wait list uh-huh. and we were serving our customers in a way that they wanted to be served so yeah very very powerful so now you're taking that into your into your own business and it's really uh, kind of cool. So what you, you, you have, tell me the name again. It's, oh, it's called Lighthouse Counseling and Wellness. So it's Counseling and Wellness. Yes. So yes. tell me what kind of clients you have. So there's a real range. So I'm pretty new starting my own business. And right now, um, you know, trying to figure out exactly what the niche is, but the type of clients that are coming to me right now are, there's a range. So I have kids who are under 12. That's my area of expertise for sure. Um, who are struggling with anxiety. That's a big one. Um, I have parents who are looking for a change in their life. Perhaps, you know, they have this desired future state and their current state is no longer serving them. And so helping them move through life to find a place where they're uh, feeling better about themselves, feeling like their wellness is being taken care of. So I have clients uh, in in that regard. And then I have um, some organizational clients where I'm working with leaders to help them, one, develop psychological safety in their workplaces so they can truly unlock their potential. If they're implementing lean in their organizations and they aren't necessarily getting the results that they thought they were getting, or um, they're just not sure where to go next, um, then I can go in and I can support them on really understanding from a mental health side of things where they might be getting stuck and help that address those root causes so that they can move forward. Um, So it's really all over the place. And I'm kind of liking that. It's, it's quite fun getting a a big range in terms of types of work and people I get to work with. Wow. That, I mean, that that sounds really interesting. And I think for, uh, I'm thinking for my listeners, I am imagining that most of my listeners don't have clients under the age of 12. That's probably, (laughs) so you're, 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 you're probably unique um, in, in, in that. Right. But one of the things that I that I see in my work and the coaching I do is actually is I do see anxiety um, that causes people to not try things or to not 
you know, to not step forward. And um, so one of the things that that I would love to discuss with you, um, when I was uh, taking my coaching training, one of the things that they said right at the beginning of the training was you have to be absolutely positively clear and clear with yourself and clear with your clients that what you're doing is not therapy, right? Right. Coaching and therapy are two different things. It's different training. Right. And, you know, unless unless they have, someone has a background like you. But oftentimes when we're working in inside an organization or working with an individual client, we'll find that something like anxiety is holding people back. Um, and I always tell I tell my my clients, you know, we're not going to work on the past. Right. The past is past. Now, I'm not gonna, we're not going to do that. But we can, you know, we're working on the future. Coaching is about what do you, you know, what are you going to do next and what are you going to try try next and, and and creating some support and accountability around that. But I think there is a point, Jessica, where somebody really needs some additional help. And I and so I'm hoping you could kind of guide us through when you are working with people, wherever mm-hmm. that is, what might be some signs that it is time to uh, refer to somebody else to refer to a psychologist or, or um, you know, someone else with it in a different profession? Yeah, it's such a good question and such a really interesting topic because to your point in your training, we learn that fear is part of a process when you're coaching somebody to move from where they are today to where they want to be. It requires change and change requires doing things differently and doing things differently requires getting into an uncomfortable zone. And when we're in an uncomfortable zone, our brain actually um, triggers fear. And so, you know, essentially we face fear when we're coaching people all the time. And so when does that fear become, um, when does it get in the way of somebody actually achieving what they're looking to achieve? And perhaps when could therapy be an added kind of benefit to the client? So essentially, if you find that through your coaching, they're still able to kind of lean into their fear, recognizing that it's a normal part of the process and actually take the action, then you're, they're, they're doing okay. I wouldn't think about therapy in that moment at all. I would be there to provide, you know, that nurturing kind of um, support in the background saying like, this is part of the process and you've got this. And when they're done celebrating the fact that they leaned into their fear and actually took that step, but in coaching, and it's happened to me before with my coaching clients, um, if you notice that the same, it's a pattern where Uh, you leave them. So they're about to take action. And then the next time you check in to see how it went, they were paralyzed with fear. So they didn't take the next move. And if, you know, through a couple of conversations, um, you realize that there's some, maybe some defeating thoughts. So some thinking patterns that are getting in their way, um, that would be maybe a, an opportunity to have a conversation. I would never say that they need therapy, but I would definitely open up a conversation uh-huh. with my client to say, have you noticed? Here's what I'm noticing. Um, and have you noticed the same thing? Has this gotten in your way in other 
places in your life before too, not just in this coaching relationship? Is it impacting other places in your life? If yes, that might be a sign. Um, does it, you know, leave them feeling restless or having sleepless nights? Like, is it impacting who they are as a person and their ability to feel well? Um, that would be another sign that, you know what, perhaps therapy could be um, helpful, but any lack of progress um, that you're finding is coming up on a repeated kind of pattern basis would warrant a conversation, in my opinion. Yeah, that's very helpful advice. Yeah. So, so it's, it is about the coach really paying attention and, and looking for patterns. And, and, I, and I love what you say, you know, as, asking the client, then have you noticed this? Yes. Are, are you are you seeing this and this is bothering you because it's not bothering them? Then, as you know, as you said with your your clients in Ottawa, if it's not bothering them, then it's right. you know it's probably okay as long as it's not impacting other areas of their life. That's right. And if you know, especially for um, if somebody is really they're committing to coaching to help them achieve a goal. If they're coming, uh -huh. to, they're wanting to achieve a goal, perhaps they're even paying for the service They're um, If you're noticing that they're not moving and if you're hearing some, some thinking patterns that are getting in their way, or if the past keeps coming up, that's another one. If you hear some like past uh -huh. experiences or traumas that continue to surface throughout your coaching that would also for me be a flag um to have a conversation with my client and point out what i'm noticing and highlight what my concern is um that i'm concerned that this continues to come up and it seems to be getting in the way of you meeting your goals what are your thoughts um have you ever noticed this before do you have any concerns with it what possible solutions like what could we do to help move you um, and is therapy an option? Is, is that something that you would ever consider? Um, therapy is really good at, um, you know, working through some past issues that get in our way of feeling our best, being able to move and, you know, unlock our potential. Often in coaching, you don't look at the past, right? You look, it's forward right. thinking. And so if it's, you're it's finding forward thinking, yeah. It is. So if you find that in your sessions, we're often going back to the past, that might also be a sign that you could have a conversation with your client. Jessica, we're, we're recording this podcast uh, in September. It's it's probably going to be available in October, but September is, is I believe, Suicide Awareness Month. Mm. Are there signs that you might look for um, in clients or co-workers that would cause you to, to want to, to help somebody um, who may be contemplating suicide? For sure. Any change in behavior for me is a red flag. It's an opportunity for me to go in and check in on people. In organizations, I think um, relationship is so important and connection. The more we connect with people, the more we're going to be able to see when something's not quite right. Um, but if we're not connecting with people regularly, we might miss some signs. So some of the signs that I would look for is any change in behavior, absenteeism at work, perhaps coming in late, um, perhaps irritability at work, maybe having, you know, mm -hmm. some sort of odd behavior that's not typical for the person. Um, 
low mood, um, anxiety, anger, it comes up in all sorts of forms. Um, but I think just the simplest way is any change. If you're noticing any change in somebody's behavior, how they're manifesting at work, that is your sign to have a conversation does not mean that they're necessarily having mental health issues or suicidal, but it is your kind of red flag to check in and see if there's anything going on um, and how you might be able to help. And that's perfect for uh, so a lean manager, someone who's managing in a lean way or someone who's working internally in an organization because you should be getting close to people, observing what's happening and knowing what kind of normal looks like. Right. And 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 start to develop that sense of, of if some is something not right here to somebody. And they may, you know, it may be a completely different kind of help that they need. They just they just need someone to ask. For sure. Yeah. And you know, we, we get to know people how they manage under stressful situations when we're connecting with them regularly. Yeah. We can understand how they celebrate when they're happy. If we've noticed that any of those things have changed, then that's just our, our clue, right? That perhaps there's something going on. Maybe there's not, maybe they just didn't get a good sleep last night. And you know, that's as far as it goes. But it's always good to know our people so that we can have those caring conversations. Jessica, we started out this conversation by you saying that first and foremost, you, you're a mom, right? So, which is which is fantastic. How are you using lean um, with your kids? Oh my goodness. Okay, so we pretty much have a lean home here. Um, and so I have huddle boards. Actually, during COVID, lean came out pretty loud for my kids. And I don't think they uh -huh. even realized, you know, what lean looked like, but getting to observe mom work, I think now they are like all in when it comes to simplifying and tracking progress. And so we have huddle boards in our house. Um, and when my kids were doing school at home, we used a huddle board to manage our day. Um, my husband and I do not have the same schedule. My two kids were on two different schedules. So um, being able to coordinate our day was really, really important. So we'd actually meet at the start of the morning around our huddle board. And we had a list of the things that we needed to do. We had our schedules up. Um, and when they were done school, oftentimes my husband and I, we weren't done our day. Mm. And so that was a, it became a problematic time in our day. So one of the ways that we work to improve our process was um, identify some of the activities that the kids were able to do and put them on like a to-do board and they just move their post-it notes from to-do to doing to done, which was really, really cool. Other ways, we use visualization in my house in a big way. So to help my kids understand routines, especially when they were really little um, and just learning new routines, we would actually print out pictures of the steps. So the evening routine requires brushing your teeth, getting your pajamas on, and we'd have pictures of all of these things that were on Velcro that they could move again from like what they needed to do to have they've come so have it done. Yeah. So we do that. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, we have a family, uh, like family values and like our purpose as a family. So we often talk about and it changes, but we we talk about what um, 
our goals are as a family. And then we talk about where are we at today with those goals and how current current condition, right? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, And how big is that gap? And what do we need to do? What's our first experiment? So my youngest actually um, really took a liking to this process. And um, so pre-COVID, we didn't have a puppy and they have been on me for probably like two years trying to convince me to get a puppy. And um, I had said, if you raise enough, <laughs> if you raise enough money, I will consider getting a puppy. So my youngest son mm. saw how I had like a kata board for work. So he drew up his own kata board where he had put at the very top the target. So um and he researched how much does it cost to get a Bernadoodle puppy and basically put the target was to raise this amount of money because I want the dog in six months. And then he's like, where am I at today? I have no money. He drew a picture of like a dog bone and this was his visual like tracker. So as he made money, he'd shape like color in the, the dog bone. Um, and he started to put all of his ideas around how he could make money on his board. So it was in the winter. So he had said shoveling driveway, selling hot chocolate, selling some of his toys in his house. And every day he would try an experiment and he'd record how he did. Um, and then he, he basically, he ended up uh, raising $2,000 going through this process every wow. day. Yes. 2000 bucks. So we have a dog. I wish I had a picture, but we have a Bernadino puppy now because my son took it upon himself to learn. He watched me. I modeled for him how it was done. And he just, he did it every single day. Um, and the determination, it was really cool. So, you know, um, PDSA and, you know, every idea is meant to be tested. We don't know. We have assumptions. Mm-hmm. We don't know how the idea is actually going to perform. And so my one son, it was minus 40 degrees out. It was freezing cold here in Ottawa. And my son said that today he wanted to go out and do the hot chocolate experiment and see if he could make any money selling hot chocolate at the end of the driveway. And my oldest son was like rolling his eyes at my youngest son being like, are you serious? Nobody's outside. It's freezing cold. You're not going to sell any hot chocolate. And Zach's like, yeah, well, but it's, it's an experiment. Like we don't know until we actually try. Uh So he went out and sure enough, our neighbor probably felt so, so bad for him sitting out in the freezing cold, gave him 40 bucks, like nice neighbor. But so he came inside and my, it was a great learning opportunity for my oldest son. He's like, huh, okay. I actually, my hypothesis was you weren't going to make anything and Uh I was proven wrong. So yeah, little bits of lean all throughout our home. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I, and I'm sure it helps them with their schoolwork as well to for sure. Yeah. And, you know, we still have like, we still need to work on some of that, their organization and things can, we can improve that. Um, But they are taking little bits of what they're learning and applying it, which I think is so, so cool. And the other thing that I'm really trying right now to focus on is don't focus on the outcome. Like, your test results and everything. Let's think about instead the process of, you know, how are we preparing for it? And when you get that result, it's just basically your cue to tell you your opportunity to reflect and say, okay, so 
did I actually, was my effort enough to get me where I thought I needed to go? So really trying to help them not focus so much on the outcome, but more on the process. Do you use that, that, that approach then with your clients, especially your, your uh, kid clients? Yeah, you know, in like various forms, but for sure, we always start with their goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, it's pretty much kata, but in a mental health kind of forms or context, then we look at where they're at today. So how much are they struggling in which situations are there? Are they struggling? What does that look like for them? Um, how frequent, how severe, and then we do, we basically are able to see how big that gap is. And so we basically pick where do we need to be in Mm -hmm. a week from now and how are we going to, you know, experiment to try and get there. So I definitely use that approach with some of the clients and it's freeing because then kids, I think are not so scared about perfection when they know that we're just, it may or may not work. We're going to take a look and see if it made any improvement on how you're feeling and how you're doing. Um, So I think it takes some of that pressure off for them. That's, that's really a, a great approach to take, I think, with people of any age, right? So, so this idea that you don't have to be right, you just have to try yes. is, is so freeing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and you're right. Um, I mean, that perfectionism, if that's what we want to call it, it uh, doesn't discriminate. It can, like, it's... It, impacts people of all ages um, and all stages of life. So yeah, that approach can really help for sure. So what's next for you, Jessica? What are you, what are you thinking about uh, going forward? Right now, what's on my mind is supporting in particular moms. Um, mm. and, and this is as a result of, again, it's learning as I go, it's using, you know, lean thinking and applying it to what I do. So I'm, I have a bit of a social media presence. I try to post content quite often, but I also use social media to poll the clients that are actually listening and, and reading my stuff and watching my videos. And, um, I'm learning from them where they're struggling. And it seems to be that moms um, are struggling with not feeling like they have patience when, when dealing with their kids. And so right now, based on what the customer is telling me they're struggling with and what they feel they need, I'm starting to pull together and build um, a program to support those moms. Um, So that's one thing that I've got kind of on the, on the go. And the other thing is creating a community, like being a parent is not easy, um, not easy, you know, and there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of information out there, information overload, um, a lot of opinions about what's the right way, what's the wrong way. And parents can just like take this on. It's just like added weight on their shoulders. And so one of the things that I want to do is take the mental health background, take the lean background that I have and build a community where people can go to get support Um, but also to get information that they know is based in research. It's not just like Uh random search of Google and trying to sift through all of the info, but basically a one-stop shop where you can trust the information, you can trust the communities there to support you. Um, So those are the two kind of things that I'm, I'm building right now. 
It sounds like there could be an overlap there too, right? So, so yes. especially, yeah. I think I think for parenthood, and I see this today. Um, I was fortunate; I raised my kids a little earlier, so there wasn't quite the 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 pressure to be perfect. But that pressure to be perfect, right? To do it completely right, um, and somehow produce. It's almost you know the kind of the same thing as as we were talking about with your mental health clients, that that this idea that the, almost that the child is a thing that you move through a process and at the end you have this perfect person who has a perfect career and is perfectly happy mm-hmm. um, and it's your job as a parent to arrange all that perfection for them, right? And that's impossible, It's right? so impossible. And yeah. to your point, there's conflicting advice and conflicting ideas about what perfect even is. Yes. Right. So so who knows what what perfect even is. But I love this idea. I mean, to, to have to be able to say to moms, you know what? It, you know, perfection is actually not the thing to seek. You know, that's right. It's, right. it's not. And, you, and, and to trust their own voice. Like, I think sometimes when there's so much information, um, we like we already know the answers deep down inside. We really do. Like we've got some good intuition, but unfortunately, um, other people's opinions cloud our own voice. And so oftentimes when you're able to pause and and create space to listen to your own voice, um, you already know the answer. We look to others for reassurance and, you know, that can be that that can actually create a little bit of a problem. Um, but if you have if you surround yourself with people who all believe in the same thing, they all see it in the same way. Um, I think that parents can feel really empowered um, and not feel the pressure of too many opinions kind of clouding their own voice. Thank you, Jessica. That was, I know I, it's. Um, there are so many places, right? This is why this is why I have this podcast, The Edges of Lean. There are so many places where we could be using lean thinking, where we could be taking everything we've learned. And what you're saying is you could, you know, take what you've learned both in lean and in mental health. And I think just because, you know, you're a very centered person who, you know, has has a clear sense of direction and use that, you know, well beyond a factory floor or even a mental health clinic, but to use that in people's, um, people's whole lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm a true believer that you can apply lean in any context um, because I've had experience, you know, in so many different contexts as a parent, a mom, a wife, um, in relationships with friends, in organizations, and it, you know, starting a new business um, in children's mental health. So yeah, I'm a true believer that you can benefit from applying lean principles uh, to really any situation or context. Well, I agree with you there. <laughs> That's great. Jessica, thinking about like where you are now and um, you know, how you, where you started, what kind of advice would you give to a young person starting out in their career? Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. Um, When I was just starting out, I think I struggled with perfectionism myself, Mm. you know, and always took the safe road. (laughs) And 
I feel like now the advice I'd give is just, you know, get excited about work. Don't worry about perfectionism. Just, you know, follow your own voice and your path and your dreams and see where it takes you because there is really, there's nothing bad that's going to happen. Um, nothing bad will happen. It was a scary kind of jump going from working in the corporate world to starting a new business. But I think uh-huh. the reason I was able to was because I learned to just embrace fear and embrace not being perfect in service of others. So in service of helping people kind of get over, get over yourself. It sounds harsh, but get over (laughs) yourself so that you can just go and help others. And guess what? Through that process, I've learned nothing bad happens. Only good things end up happening. People benefit. You end up feeling more confident because you're trying things outside of your comfort zone and realizing that nothing bad happens on the other side. Um, so yeah, I would just encourage them to lean into their fear, to try things that they, their kind of heart or their inner voice is telling them to try and uh, yeah, go all in. Go all in. I love it. Thank you. Jessica, how do people find you if they want to, if they want to find you? I'd say the easiest way to reach me would be either through my LinkedIn profile, so uh-huh. Jessica House, um, or Lighthouse's website, so www.lighthousecw.ca. Lighthouse CW, so that's counselingandwellness.ca. Yeah. That's great. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. It's been great to talk with you, and um, I wish you all the best with the, with the business and with uh, with the, your work with mothers and um, building that community. I think it sounds fantastic. Thank you so much, Bella. Thanks for having me on. This was so fun. This is Bella Enkelbach, and I'd like to thank Jessica House for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What has sparked your curiosity about mental health and lean thinking? We'd love to hear from you. Find Jessica at www.lighthousecw.ca or on LinkedIn. Find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn. I'll comment wherever you watch or listen. No matter how you travel to the edges of lean, your ratings, reviews, and comments are greatly appreciated. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach. This is a Lean for Humans production.